Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Are LGBTQIA plus individuals a threat to Christianity and our nation? Since Homo sapiens first roamed the earth, we've been operating under an imagined human order that is for the most part biologically determined as male and female. However, culturally, gender categories have evolved over time that seemingly threaten the stability of the system. Did Christianity's arrival reinforce this feeling of instability? What is it we're so afraid of? And how do we interpret ancient texts, such as today's scripture from Psalm 139, 14 to 15, from a biological or a cultural lens? I I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Gun violence. We talked about that last week. And as a country, we are still shaken and in hopes that we will see a shift take place in how readily available guns are to American citizens. Yet this month, Pride Month, there is a significant portion of a community, the LGBTQ plus community, that continues to suffer violence. Anywhere from homicides to harassment, be it in person or online. Not only do these individuals have difficulty in navigating and the fear of wondering who might find them out from the society at large, but they also have a challenge of navigating when it comes to their own personal life, especially individuals who are transgender. These are individuals who many of them find it very difficult to go through this inner struggle of who they are. And on top of that, they have a society which continues to bombard them with messages on who they ought to be. As a result, many young people more than have been shot in mass shootings, commit suicide because they can't live with that struggle anymore. But just as we are very slow to pass laws to limit guns, we are seeing a movement to pass laws against transgender LGBTQ plus rights 
equal, equal rights, and we are seeing a movement to pass laws that are anti-transgender. It doesn't make sense to me. We can't get our country to move in one direction, and we have another part of our country that's running very quickly ahead. And they're moving in a direction that we as a populace do not agree with. In surveys, the majority of people want some type of legislation when it comes to gun control. Now, we may disagree on what that is, but we want something to change. That's the majority, and we can't get our legislators at the, for, at the federal level to make this change. The majority of Americans, including Republicans, support equal rights for the LGBTQ plus community. And yet, in some states, including ours here in Arizona, we continue to pass laws that are going in the completely different direction. Let me give you some examples very quickly at how this is continuing to grow. For example, yeah. since 2020, so in the last year and a half, 15 states have passed laws barring transgender kids from playing sports in their lived genders. Three states have put laws on the books to prevent trans kids from accessing care for gender dysphoria recommended by major medical associations. And two states have outlawed mention of LGBTQ plus history or people for young kids in public school. And this is against what the majority of Americans are saying we need to have at least at a minimum equal rights for all people. So my question is why? In this last week in my studies, I've realized that there are two groups that have come together to pass these kinds of laws. Two groups. Number one, Republican strategist. Now again, notice I didn't say the Republican Party. Republican strategist is one party. The other party are evangelicals, influential evangelical leaders. They came together, and this especially happened in the 19, starting in the 1960s through the 1980s. These two parties came together. They realized that if they worked together, they might be able to accomplish more for both of them. And in return, they started passing laws. This ultimately came to an apex with the law when it comes, I mean, I'm sorry, with the election of Ronald Reagan as our president in the 1980s. 
When he became president, we saw that one of the reasons he became president was the support that he had from conservative Christianity. And that support trickled down from the evangelical leaders. With this movement, after his election to president, these two groups got together and said, okay, we saw success of bringing a portion of the Republican Party, a portion of the evangelical community, and bringing them together. We saw success. So how do we continue this success? How do we continue to see a thriving of our objectives? Randall Balmer, who is a history professor at Dartmouth of American history, as well as an Episcopal priest, said the following. They, the Republican strategists, have an interest in keeping the base riled up against one thing or another. And when one issue fades, as we saw with same-sex relationships, and same-sex marriages, they got to find something else. In politics, it's all about getting the base out to vote. And so they look at us and they say, okay, how do I get these people over here to vote? And how do I get these people over here to vote? Well, they may have different priorities, but can I find a common issue that will bring them all together? And they discovered issues that the evangelical community would respond to, especially given the influence of their evangelical leaders. Balmer continues and he says, as they were searching for different issues, I think they understood that any issue that had some sort of connection to sexuality or sexual behavior was going to work for them. Proof of this is if you look back at what has happened since the 1980s and look at how we as a country have shifted and almost kind of focused in upon sexual issues. There was a major movement in the late 80s, in the 90, early 90s, to encourage states to enforce their sodomy laws. Amazing. And as a country, we rallied behind that. After that, the issue shifted to voting against marriage equality, standing against anything that would call into question the traditional marriage between man and women. And now it is shifted one more time, and that is to the transgender community. Realizing that the majority of Americans want equal rights for all people, 
Now, we may disagree when it comes to what bathroom people ought to use or if people ought to have gender-affirming surgeries or not. That, we can have all sorts of different discussions, but the core issue that the majority of Americans support is equal rights. But we can't even get that passed because politicians and some Christian leaders are using this as a way to maintain power. Now, understand that when it comes to the Christian side of things, that they aren't operating with malcontent. They believe in their position. For example, if you were to ask Christians that listen to evangelical leaders such as this, why they don't support the LGBTQ plus community, they would tell you because it's unbiblical. And then they would open up their Bible and they would take you to different texts. The key text for them would be Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. That is the one that they would put their focus, their attention upon, saying that right there in the Bible, it shows us that God created men and women. There are only two genders. That's it. And then they would go into Matthew, where Jesus affirms that by quoting that text. But what's interesting is it's all in how you read the Bible. For those individuals who read that text literally and believe in a literal six-day creation with a theistic God involved in that process, well, that makes sense that you would come to that conclusion. And there are Christians who will now argue against that who read the Bible the same, but want to argue against it, and it gets us nowhere. Not only will they look at those texts in Genesis, but they will look at other Levitical laws and Deuteronomistic laws. What's amazing is, is when they look at these laws, all of them have to do with clean and unclean binaries, taking people and putting them into categories. And the easiest way to do that is say that if you act in a certain way, if certain things are happening to you, that makes you clean, otherwise you're unclean. In the midst of all of these laws demarcating what is clean and unclean, they have laws that talk about what men should wear and what women should wear. Now, the majority of Christians, including us, ignore those laws. We don't believe they're applicable to us anymore. But there are some Christians that want to focus in on those laws. And then the other one they use is the idea of a eunuch. You see, the word transgender never appears in the Bible. And the closest they can come to that is by looking at the word eunuch. And so one of the ways that some Christians use the Bible 
against the LGBTQ plus community, and especially the transgender community, is by referring to these passages. The second way they do that is by their perception. In their perception, they are the ones being discriminated against. In a couple of articles that I read this week, it talks about how the Christian community, some in the Christian community feel that as the transgender community becomes more and more accepted, that they are the ones who are becoming less and less accepted. Less discrimination for the transgender community, more discrimination against Christians. And what they do is they say that they have lost their right, for example, to run the businesses the way they want to run them, serve the people that they want to serve, that their rights are being infringed upon, where more and more individuals are in the transgender community are having their rights affirmed. And so they see this. Many Christians honestly feel that they are the ones being discriminated against. We cannot argue against how they feel. That's real for them. The other one, that perception they have, is that when they look at the chaos that is in our country, the chaos that is in our world, they believe that the reason that we are seeing this kind of chaos is because God is unhappy with America. Listen to what one writer says in, in writing on behalf of a poll done by the Southern Poverty Law Center. He says, we uncovered a widespread feeling, especially among right-leaning Americans, that transgender people and gender ideology pose a threat to children and society at large. There is a perception that somehow that by going against what they would consider the norms of God, that God is punishing America. Now again, please understand that I'm not talking about all evangelicals, but there's a significant number of them that are having an influence, and that influence is aligning very much with an element within the Republican Party, and that is making life difficult for the transgender community. So what can we do? What can we do as a more a Christians that are more progressive, or perhaps are looking at an alternative way of trying to follow the teachings of Jesus. What can we do? I offer you three suggestions. Number one, don't argue with other Christians when it comes to the Bible. The reason being is the majority of us, when it comes to the Bible, we have our ideas, people have their ideas, 
And the vast majority of time when people come together to talk about those things, those biblical passages and, and such, it's not really a, a, a practice in listening. It's a practice in trying to convince the other person that you're right. It's actually a wonderful practice when it comes to debating. You give your position, they give theirs, then you give back. And, but instead of actually creating a sense of connection with this other person, it doesn't happen. How can you dialogue with some text when there's some basic ideas underlying those that aren't even going to be addressed? For example, to talk about Genesis 1 and 2 and the transgender community and gender fluidity and gender diversity, how do you talk about that when some individuals want to see the story as literal and some individuals want to see the story as a metaphor, allegorical? It's hard to have a dialogue if both sides aren't open-minded when they come to that. So if you can foresee that something is not going to go well and that you're not willing to change your mind and you doubt that they're willing, this other person is willing to change their mind, don't, don't waste their time or your time in those discussions. Number two, consider imitating Jesus. Now, I am very hesitant to say follow and do what Jesus did because I still struggle trying to discover what it is Jesus may or may not have done. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that he actually did or say those things. But even if he never said or did these things, I can believe in my heart that there were two things that are a common theme throughout all the Gospels and probably come pretty close to what the historical Jesus was about. Number one, loving other people. That simple. Now, that didn't mean that Jesus got along with everyone. There were some people that Jesus told off pretty well. But underneath that was a spirit of love. And the second thing was Jesus paid attention to and focused upon those individuals in a society who are marginalized. Jesus paid attention to and aligned himself with those people who were marginalized. Right now, the group that is getting picked on in our country, a group that is getting picked on, is the transgender community. So my second suggestion to you is follow, the, imitate the life of Jesus. And then number three. Spend more time reading, and in a liberal church, you don't hear this very often, but spend more time reading 
a certain passage in the Bible. You don't even need to own a Bible anymore. You can get it on your phone. But if there is a passage that I would encourage you to read every day, just for a week even, is this one right here in Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, verse 14, it says the following. I will give thanks to you, O God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. The reason why I would focus on this verse is because of the first half and the second half. Listen to that first two phrases again, these first two clauses. I will give thanks to you, O God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you believe that about yourself? That you are wonderfully made. With all your quirks, with all your pains, with all your idiosyncrasies, you are wonderful. It's not who you're going to become that will make you wonderful. You already are wonderful. And I will give thanks to you, God. If we as human beings could accept this about ourselves, I think it would be a lot easier to do what the next two lines say. Wonderful are your works. So if I can see myself as okay, as wonderful, then it becomes a lot easier to see everyone around me as wonderful. It's that easy, and yet it's that hard. We're all human beings. And we are diverse. We are diverse in the color of our skin, the color of our eyes, the abundance or the lack of abundance of hair, height. Some of us are tall, some of us are short. Some of us fall passionately in love with individuals of the opposite sex. And some people fall passionately in love with someone that is of the same sex as they are. There are certain people in our society that are uncomfortable with their birth body. 
But to be wonderfully made means that you find in life a sense of fullness and wholeness. So I cannot be against these people who make choices for their lives, either for themselves or even for their children, to try to bring a sense of wholeness into their life because these people, all of us, are wonderful. It's that simple. It's that easy. We don't need a government to tell us to do this. Let's not wait another month, I mean another year to, for next June to see where we are. Don't get discouraged. Because right now you can make a difference. You can first and foremost accept yourself for who you are. And then out of that, you will begin to accept other people. As diverse as we are, we will accept other people. Let's do it today. Let's do it again tomorrow and for the tomorrows to come. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.